Howdy. Howdy. Yeah. How we doing this morning? Good, good. Uh, we, we are in the middle of uh, midterms, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, you feel good about those. Yes, as well you should. Hey, we're going to be in Romans chapter 5, and uh, if you get nothing from this morning, I'll tell you what, you will get hope and perspective on all the pain and struggle and trial and exams that you are going through right now. You're going to gain a tremendous perspective because you might be in the moment right now where you're going, what does it all mean, Kevin? Like, why do I have to take this class for something I'm never going to use? I'm going to give you insight into that. There actually is a reason, and, and also, uh, we're starting a new kind of portion to our series um, uh, in Romans called Living Free, and uh, just as a helpful tool, helpful resource, we have um, a, a partnership with Version in which um, they put our Bible study uh, devotionals um, on their uh, on their little app, and so if you've been following along with us, please jump in on this portion of the app as well, and if we can get the house lights up a little bit, that would be awesome, so I can actually see faces. Uh, so, so that will be helpful, so if you go to our version app, and you just were to type in living free, uh, and look for this, this, that, uh, this type of graphic right here, uh, you will find our study, and you'll be able to go through that devotion as well. So, uh, we're going to continue along in Romans, and we're looking at living free Uh, Romans chapter 5 is where we're going to be. I'm going to read a little bit for us, and we will jump in. It says this, Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only this, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Can rejoice in glory, but rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering exams, painful realities, roommates, produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we, be reconcil- we are reconciled and be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. And pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for... For each student here, and I know that each person here is carrying their own things to this moment, whether it struggles at home, whether it struggles with school, or whether it struggles with considerations of the future, we all come with our own little burdens that we bear. And honestly, Lord, it's often difficult to understand why you are doing the particular things in our life that you are. And so I pray that as we study this passage in Romans, we might gain perspective We might gain understanding, and we might gain hope. And Lord, we know that hope does not disappoint us, because you don't disappoint us. So I lift up this morning to you, 
that you bring all of these pieces together that we might follow you faithfully and confidently. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. Well, there's something that's been challenging me personally recently, and it's this simple idea that oftentimes we, we have ideas or have resources, but we don't know how those resources rightly apply to our lives. Like we know the right things, but we don't know how those things actually can make a difference in our lives. And I'll tell you what, there's a temptation in studying the book of Romans to come, up, come away with a lot of theology, but not a lot of practice. Like we understand a lot of things about God, but we don't know how God actually is using those things to dramatically impact and change our lives. In fact, it's like this. This is the best illustration I can think of. It's like a gym membership. How many of you, fair enough. <laughs> How many of you have some sort of gym membership and you probably are paying for it at the rec center? So just hands, you got some sort of gym membership or you have a membership to the rec center. Like y'all don't want to admit it. Just hold your hand up, like commit. You have some sort of gym membership. And, and here's what's amazing about a gym membership. Um, you can go in to this gym and you have access to a wealth of equipment. I have a membership at TrueFit, and so I go... <laughs> awesome. And so, and so I go to the one that's right here on Texas, and, and I remember the first time I walked in there, I just looked around, I'm like, there are racks galore. There are, there's cardio equipment galore. There are so many weights that, that no human could ever actually lift them all. It's, there's so much there. But the challenge is this. Although you have all of the resources to make the body of your dreams... Most of us can't. (laughs) And there's a simple reason for that. Some of it may be your genetics. I'm sorry, that may be my genetics. Sorry, I'm never going to get huge. It's just not in the cards. Um, But there's another piece to it. I think it's this. We actually don't know how to rightly apply the resources that we have. In fact, I'm not the only one to have this observation. YouTube has helped us with this. (laughs) They have showed us many people that actually don't know how to rightly utilize the resources that they have. And here we go, people. Here we go. This will change your life. Oh, yeah, give them a hand. Okay, well done. YouTube has made all of our lives better. Um, And I'll tell you what, when it comes to the gym, we may not know how to use what we have access to. And I'll tell you what, when it comes to the Christian life, I think many of us fall into the same trap. We don't know how to rightly use the resources that God has given us. And because we don't know how to rightly utilize the resources that God has given us, there's something that comes up within all of us. I'll tell you this. It's fear. It's fear. 
For all of us, there are fears that come up because we don't know how to rightly utilize the resources that God has given us. So there's, there's fear of approval. There's fear of risk. There's fear of our future. There's fear of our present. There's fear of change. There's all sorts of fears that come at us that, that prevent us from actually walking in faith. And many of us get locked into fear. But what Paul wants to do in this section of, of Romans is to help us to move past fear. To actually utilize the resources that God has given us. And he starts out in verse 1 by saying it this way. Therefore, since you have been justified by faith. He says this. You have a new position. There's a new sphere that you are in if you have faith in Jesus Christ. You are justified by faith. And we talked a bit about that last week. And it means this. You are positionally in the right relationship with God. God has moved you out of one that experiences wrath and judgment and moved you into a position where you can experience the grace of God. And it's nothing that you have done. It's everything that God did for you. It's that Jesus died in our place for our sins to put us in a new sphere. You have been justified by faith. And that is a great theological term. God has declared you in the right because of the work of his son. And then as soon as I say that, you're like, well, what difference does it make, Kevin? Why does it matter? Remember several years ago, I was listening to a sermon by Tim Keller, and he, um, he was talking to a teenage girl and talking to her about Jesus. And she recently had put her faith in Jesus Christ. And she believed that Jesus died in her place for her sins. And then she, he says to her, okay, so, so how can you live now differently? And she goes, okay. What difference does it make that Jesus died for my sins if there's not a single boy that will even look at me? And what happens right there is the miss that often happens in most of our lives. You can know the truths academically, but it doesn't change your experience practically. And what I want to do this morning is I want to give us some insight. I want to give us three fears that are overcome if we rightly understand the work of justification. Jesus can actually meet your needs. He actually can give you confidence in the midst of all sorts of challenges you face. But you've got to rightly understand how to use the resources that God has given you. And so there's three fears that we're going to overcome this morning. The fear of judgment, the fear of our circumstances, and the fear of being unloved. The fear of judgment, our circumstances, and finding ourselves the fear of being unloved. The first one we see is in this first section, verses 1 and 2, where we can overcome the fear of judgment. He says, we've been justified by faith, verse 1, and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of God's glory. What he says is, look, you've been put in an entirely new sphere, and you've been given new resources in Christ. He says, you have peace with God. And you have access to God. You have peace with God. And you have access to God. The first thing is this. We have peace. Peace is not merely um, the absence of what's wrong. It's the presence of what's right. It's the word irene in Greek. But it's also used as shalom in Hebrew. It's it's often used um, interchangeably uh, in in the Septuagint in the Old Testament. It says that there is a shalom. And that and shalom, peace, arene, is not merely an absence of what's wrong. It's the presence of what's right. It means you have the resources from God, a right relationship with God. 
And I want to tell you, many of you live under the fear of God's judgment. You live under the fear of not being enough. Some of you live under the fear of saying, I don't know if God actually even likes me. Sometimes I just feel like he tolerates me. And let me tell you, that is a wrong perspective of God. He has rescued you out of darkness, and he loves you, and now you have peace with him, which means this. You don't have to try to earn anything from God. And you're never disappointing God. Why? Because he already knows when and where you're going to blow it. He's not surprised. And he's already compensated for every single one of those mistakes. He's given you the resources. I ran track in college. And uh, one of the amazing things in running track at at a large university was the resources that they gave you. And so I remember going the first time into the locker room in this multi-million dollar track facility that was absolutely immaculate and amazing. I remember walking um, up the stairs and them showing me the, the locker that I was going to have. And it was about a six foot tall locker, about three foot wide, and it was packed with gear. I mean, there was eight pairs of shoes. There was three pairs of like just training shoes, but also spikes and other shoes. There was all of this like training gear and they were going to do my laundry. I mean, as a college student, you can appreciate the enormity of that task, right? Like every day I was going to work out and every day I was going to put my laundry into a bag. And then the next day when I showed back up to the locker, it was going to be dried and there. It didn't always smell good, but it was dry and it was there. And I was like, these are amazing resources. It didn't stop there. Not only do we have the gear, we also had trainers and coaches and weight room facilities and drinks and power bars and all sorts of stuff to help us fuel every single day to give us the resources and what I, what I looked at it is not only did they say you made the team they said we are going to supply you with all the resources so that you can thrive in this place and that's beautiful and that is exactly what you have in Christ you have peace with God and that doesn't mean that he's just okay with you That means you can come to him in every single moment and he's going to give you what you need. He's going to supply you with what you need in life to thrive, not just survive, but to thrive. You can go to God and not only do you have peace with God, a right relationship with God. Secondly, he says this, you have access. And Chuck Swindoll has a book on Romans. It's a commentary. It's very, very helpful. And he says this, a believer is not responsible for having peace in the sense of making it, but in the sense of enjoying it. See, our responsibility isn't to make peace. Our responsibility is to enjoy the peace that we have with God. He says not only do we have peace, but we have access, meaning we can go to God at any point in time. The word used for access is the Greek word um, prosagoge, which describes the process of being ushered in to the court of a king And then the announcement, which implies the right opportunity to address the ruler. So you have access every moment of every day to the king of the universe. You have a right relationship and you can literally walk your way into his presence and ask whatever question you want. Can you imagine that level of intimacy and that level of of connection? You have it. You have it in Christ. And, and, and I, for many of us, we're like, I don't even imagine what this, the, the, 
the amazement that that is because we think other people are more powerful. But let me tell you, there's only one person that can go into the presence of a supreme ruler and have a genuine conversation and fun. And it's a son or a daughter. And God says, you're a son or you're a daughter. Many years ago, there was a, uh, many photos that were ta- uh, taken of JFK and his kids. John F. Kennedy was the president of, of the United States, if you're unaware. Um, you're like, that's history, isn't it? Yeah, it's history. Um, and what's the amazing uh, part about uh, JFK uh, in some of these images is this, um, is that you would have several moments like this where the president of the United States is sitting at his desk and then his son is peeking out from underneath. And this is a very famous photo of his son having access. Who has access to the most powerful person in the land? His kids. Well, there's some other images that I found that were actually really helpful. This is him and his little boy running around in the Oval Office. Who has access to the most powerful person in the world? His kids. His kids. And this is my favorite. This is his son and his daughter, and they are dancing around, and the president is clapping in beat. <laughs> Apparently, he, could ha- he had a rhythm, you know? And, and he is watching his kids jump around and have fun. And I look at those images, and I'm like, that is a beautiful picture of being in right relationship with the one in authority. And let me just tell you, you have a right relationship with the God of the universe. And he says, come on in. You have access. You can jump, you can play, you can do whatever you want in my presence because I love you. I love this image because it just shows that the president is having fun and loving on his kids. And for some of you, you feel like you don't have access to God, that he doesn't even enjoy you. But I'm telling you, he loves you. He's inviting you in and saying, come on, enjoy my presence. You can come in anytime you want. You have access to him. If you don't believe me, here's a couple of verses that apparently got cut off. So I'm going to have to read them to you. Ephesians 2.18 says this, For through him, that's Jesus, we have uh, our access by one spirit to the Father. Ephesians 2.19, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints who are of God's household. You're his kids. Ephesians 3.12, In whom you have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Hebrews 4.16 says it this way, Therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Psalm 65 how blessed is the one with whom you chose to bring near to you, to dwell in your courts. We will be satisfied with the goodness of your house, with your holy temple. Have you taken advantage of your access to God? Have you taken all of your struggles and all of your pains and just said, I'm going to go into his presence and experience his joy? You're invited. But if you're a thinking person at that moment, That same moment you're going, okay, I have all of this great access and joy into God's presence. There's something else that should pop into your mind. And it's this, it's struggle. Kevin, it's great to know that I can be in God's presence, but here's a second reality. I face trial in every circumstance I'm in. I'm in college, and they gave me a list of my trials at the beginning of the semester, right? 
And I feel like I'm in the middle of them right now. And Paul says, I want to give you perspective on that. I want you to give, a, give you a perspective on that because here's the deal. You don't have to fear any one of those circumstances. Because every one of those circumstances is actually purposefully placed by God. He tells us this in this verse, uh, and I'm, I'm, most of you probably hate these, these passages, so I'm just going to ask you to memorize them. It says, not only that, not only do we have access to God, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. But let's just be honest. We often fear our circumstances. We fear our grades and the exams coming up. We fear our jo- not getting the right job or job prospects that are coming to us. We fear not getting the right roommates next year. You know, they're graduating. What am I going to do? Like, we have all of these fears. And the fear of life, the challenging circumstances that we face, they cause us to do a couple things. And this is typical in October. It means we abandon responsibilities. We abandon commitments. And ultimately, we lose hope. When the trials and struggles mount up, we abandon responsibilities, we abandon commitments, and ultimately we lose hope. And if you ever ask yourself the question, why, do, why am I not more optimistic in life? The reason is, is because you're probably not seeing the trials of life well. I looked up some synonyms for hope, and once again they got cut off. I'm very, very sorry. But here's some uh, the antonyms, the opposites of hope. It's disbelief, it's dislike, it's distrust, it's doubt, it's fear, it's hatred, it's hopelessness, it's, it's um, despair, it's discouragement, it's pessimism. And I think if we're, we're honest with ourselves, there's a lot of those emotions that we feel all the time, and they're the opposite of hope. They're the opposite of actually what God is trying to do in your life. And you know, you're not able to, to live in hope. You live in the opposite realm. I feel myself there too. He says, because I don't rightly understand what God is trying to do with the trials and sufferings of my life. See, I have access to God. But my access to God doesn't mean that I don't have struggles in life. And let me tell you about every struggle that you face in life. It's purposeful. It's not random, it's not haphazard, it's purposeful. And so Paul actually gives us a new paradigm, a paradigm for how to think of every struggle we face in life. And I'm so excited about this part of the message, so get ready, people, okay? Here's a graph. You love graphs. Suffering produces something. The word suffering that Paul uses here could speak of uh, tribulation, or it can speak of any pressure or distress that you face. There is a pressure point that's going to come into your life. And if you haven't experienced it yet, praise God. Um, Maybe when finals roll around, it'll finally hit you. Um, You'll have some sort of suffering, some sort of trial that you're facing. And let me tell you about that trial. It's there purposefully. Because your trial, your suffering, is a gift from God. And you need it. Because suffering produces endurance, meaning so the, endurance is the word hupomone. It's the word to, to bear up under. He says this, suffering trials actually produce stamina. And we all know this is true. We see it in the gym. 
You go to the gym and you're like, oh, I got to lift these weights and it burns. And you're like, the burn is good. And you're like, no, the burn hurts. (laughs) But the burn produces something that you hope. It produces, you put the muscle in crisis to produce endurance so that it will be able to sustain more. Academics work this way. So when you were a kid and you had to, in kindergarten, you had to learn your ABCs and sing the song and know all 26 letters, like it was oppressive to you. I remember trying to teach my son the ABCs. He did not want to learn them. And so I got little, uh, Little uh, bath toys, alphabet letters, I stuck them out in the yard. I bought uh, weapons. I bought uh, water guns. And I said, Jesse, we've got to go kill all the ah, ah, ants. Ah, ah, ants. Go kill the A ants. And he's like, okay. It lasted like five minutes. And he's like, I'm kind of done. You know, after we got to like, cats, let's go kill the cats. He's like, I don't, I'm, 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 this, is, this is enough. And, and because all of that just, he's like, I just, I gave up. Because I didn't let it actually produce stamina. But you know, like, okay, you got to learn your ABCs. And remember in junior high, you had to write the first two-page paper. And you're like, it's two pages. And now you're like, that's a, that's a joke. Two pages, I'll whip out this afternoon. It doesn't have to say anything legitimate. I'll just whip it out, right? <laughs> you need Endurance. And your trials actually allow you to have endurance to sustain tougher decisions. And let me just challenge you on this. Many of you haven't progressed in your faith. Because as soon as it gets hard, you hit eject. You don't let it produce endurance in your life. So some of you are like, I try to read the Bible, but I don't really. And it's just hard to get through Leviticus. I agree. But it's producing something within you. For some of you, you're like, I don't feel confidence in actually sharing my faith with anyone on campus or having a conversation with anyone else. And, and I would just challenge you, have you put yourself in a moment to have conversations with non-Christians so you can share your faith? You're like, no, that terrifies me. Well, then you'll never have the endurance to have the conversation because that trial is meant to produce something within you. It produces endurance and endurance. When you stack up enough of those endurance blocks together, what ends up happening is it produces character. It produces something in your heart that can only be created through the process of trial. The word character basically means tested worth. It's the analogy or the illustration of a refining of gold or the training of soldiers. So how, does a, how do you refine gold? Well, you take a raw ore and you heat it up. You put it in crisis. And as you put it through those crises, you scoop off all that's bad so that what is left is something beautiful and useful to the jeweler, something gold and shiny. That's the process. You do the same thing in, with soldiers. Some of you are in the core. And you're, you're like, why do I not sleep? Why why do I have this sophomore ahead of me? Why do I have to be the sophomore yelling at other people to get up? Because I have to get up to yell. It's terrible. And, and, and why do I have all of these things? And because in order to prepare a good soldier, you put them through these training processes. And that crisis creates consistency or stamina, endurance, which produces character. And when that character forms in your heart, you become the type of person that God wants you to be. 
So the reason you have the crisis of challenges in engineering is because they're trying to make you into a person that can withstand the pressures of engineering. The reason you have the pressures of your academic load or your organizational load is because all of those come together to produce character. And for many of us, we run from our responsibilities. We don't lean into our responsibilities to let them form us, to make us men and women of deep character. And the reason I say that to you is because that's me. Because when I hit struggle, when I hit stress, when I hit pain, my natural tendency is to hit eject and avoid the conflict, not step in and say, God, what are you trying to do in my heart? What are you trying to form in me? Because here's the truth. You are not who you need to be in Christ. And so God in his grace is going to give you suffering so that he can produce men and women of deep, abiding character. And when character is fully formed, when the struggle produces stamina and the stamina produces a steadiness of character, you can stand in certainty because character produces hope. And hope is not blind Wishful thinking. It's confidence. It's certainty in what's coming. And so as you walk through life, what's going to happen is God's going to give you some suffering moment that's going to produce endurance within you, that's going to refine your character. And as that process happens, you're going to be a more hopeful person. And for some of us, the reason we never have hope is because we don't have quality character. And the reason we don't have quality characters is because we've actually never let endurance grow. And, because we, and the reason we've never let endurance grow is because we avoid suffering when it comes. And God says, look, I love you too much to not give you a problem. So I want you to take a moment right now and think about all the problems you're facing. School, parents, relationships, roommates. Think about all those sufferings that you have. And then I want you to think about this slinky. Apparently, there's a physics department here at a College Station High School. And slinkies are great illustrations for physics, but also suffering. Because here's how God works in your life and my life. That cycle circles around to make you a deep person. And so what's going to happen is there's going to be a suffering moment that God's going to use to create endurance in your life. And that endurance will make your character stronger and that will make you more hopeful. And you're going to be like, I made it. This is awesome. And then God's going to go, you did so great. Here's another problem. That's going to produce more endurance. That's going to produce greater character. That's going to give you greater hope. And you're going to be like, I totally made it, God. I mean, this semester, I have rocked it. And God's going to go, I'm so glad. And I'm going to give you another problem (laughs) that produces more endurance and more character. And when those problems and that refinement stacks up, you become a deep person with deep faith and deep hope. Because the process of making you hopeful makes you walk through all of these struggles. 
I was listening to Tim Keller, and, and they were talking to, to him about his faith in this interview. He said, Tim, how, did you, how do you have such strong faith? Like, how are you such a hopeful person? Like, what, was that just natural? And he goes, the process I would never wish upon anyone. But I don't know how you get to the result without the process. He's like, it's through cancer. It's through death. It's through all of these struggles that I've faced in life, all of these disappointments that God has used to refine me so that my faith is deeper and more profound now in my 60s than it ever was in my 20s. And God's going to use every one of those trials to make you into someone that's deep, strong, sturdy. So you don't fear circumstances. You say, God, you give me a problem. I can't solve the problem, but I know this. I have access to the king of the universe that knows the answers. And I know you wouldn't have given me this situation if you weren't trying to do something deep in my heart and life. But it also raises the third challenge, the third fear, is that we're walking through those struggles. The first thing to actually go is our feeling of being loved. Because as soon as you're walking with trials, if you're honest with yourself, this process of refinement, these problems make us go ask the question, God, I don't think you even love me. I don't think you even care. And so Paul knows that's your next step. And that's why he answers that objection in verses five and the rest of the way. He says this in verse five, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit he has given to us. He says there is an experiential love you can have through the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to challenge you on this. Have you actually spent time with God saying, God, these are all my problems. These are all my struggles. And allowed God to speak back and comfort you in your distress. I learned how to do that in college. And oftentimes for me, they were in long runs in the middle of nowhere where I would just, I'd be running for an hour and a half or longer. And I would just be running in the middle of nowhere and I would just lift up all of my struggles and all of my pains and all of my frustrations. And in those moments, God met me through the Holy Spirit to give me practical, experiential comfort from the Holy Spirit. Every believer is indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And he says, the love of God has been poured out into your hearts. You have access and you can experience the love of God daily if you actually go to him. And it's not just an experience. It's a love that's demonstrated. It says this in the rest of the section. That the love is demonstrated by God through Jesus Christ. For while we were weak, verse 6, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows or demonstrates or proves his love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. See, our world love to celebrate people that lay down their lives for the sake of others. We love that picture. It's beautiful. I was reading um, from one writer. He's a journalist um, and an author that writes oftentimes of war. His name is Sebastian Junger. He writes this about war, which I thought was fascinating. He says, if war were purely and absolutely bad in every single aspect and toxic in all of its effects, what it would probably not happen as often as it does. But... In addition to all the destruction and loss of life, 
War also inspires ancient human virtues of courage, loyalty, and self-sacrifice that can be utterly intoxicating to the people who experience them. He says war at one level creates all of this pain and, 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 and destruction, and that's bad, but it also creates something else. All of that pain creates something else that's intoxicating. It's courage, it's loyalty, it's self-sacrifice. And he writes this in his book, War. The army might mess you over. He doesn't say that, but he basically says that. Your girlfriend might dump you. The enemy might kill you. But the shared commitment to safeguard one another's lives is unnegotiable and often deepens with time. The willingness to die for another person is a form of love that even religious fail to inspire. And the experience of it changes a person profoundly. He says, when you go to war, you know that the man or woman next to you will lay down your life for you. And there's something beautiful about that. He says, I, even the religious try to, try to inspire that from people. And, and what he's missing is that Jesus' sacrifice is that. He died for you. Because he demonstrates his love for you. That he died for you, not when you deserved it, but when you didn't. He loves you as you are, and he has laid his life down to save you from your circumstances. That you might experience the love of God. So I want to give you some time to process. Do you know you have access to the Father? Do you know that every struggle you face is purposeful? It's, it's to make you deep in him. And as you're struggling through those moments, do you actually know that you can experience the love of God through the Holy Spirit and that Jesus demonstrated his love for you and that he died for you long before you were perfect and you can experience his love daily through the work of Jesus Christ? take a moment right now and interact with Jesus and pray for us Lord I know that there's struggles that each one of us is facing currently challenges that we see in our lives and honestly Lord in the midst of those struggles we begin to question whether or not you're even good But Lord, I pray that we might have a better perspective on the pain that we face. That you know every struggle that we are walking in and through. And and God, you can walk and lead us through them to make us men and women strong in character and hope. And Lord, you've offered up your spirit to us. You've given your spirit to us who have believed in you that we might experience the love of God daily. So, Lord, I pray that in this moment we would lift up our problems, our struggles to you. And that you would meet us right in this moment. Because you love us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.